0: This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. This episode is part of a long series about the rise of Christian fundamentalism up through the Scopes Monkey Trial. It can stand on its own, but when you're done, go back and start at the beginning of season five. Now that I've finished the main body of the season and am working hard on season six, I want to emphasize some important themes. This is takeaway number five, the only thing we have to fear. Do you ever get an idea stuck in your brain? and Like, ask yourself, why do I think about this strange little thing so much? I do that all the time. Maybe that's no surprise from somebody with a podcast that covers everything from pyramid schemes to the gold standard to the American West. One of the nagging topics that springs up in my brain is this speech delivered March 4th, 1933.
1: This is preeminently the time to speak the truth, the whole truth, frankly and boldly.
0: You probably know this one, or at least part of it. This is Franklin Delano Roosevelt's inaugural address. Right at the top, he delivers this famous line.
1: Let me assert my firm belief the only thing we have to fear is fear
0: itself. If you're like me and you've been in Christian circles for a long time, you've heard this quote. You probably read it in books and heard it on retreats. It's everywhere. Like when Stacy Eldridge used it in Becoming Myself. She wrote, Fear is not our ally. It is not our destiny. As Franklin Roosevelt said, The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. The things we fear are in the way of our coming closer to Jesus, receiving his love, and being perfected by his love. Or J.P. Jones's book, Facing Goliath. David Jeremiah's What Are You Afraid Of? Facing Down Your Fears With Faith. Joyce Myers' Living Courageously. This quote comes up a lot. Go to Google Books and type in, the only thing you have to fear is fear itself, and then Jesus, and you'll get a ton of results. Also, do we have a fear problem? I'd argue, yes, but not in the way these books use it. Most of which, from my unscientific survey, are using this phrase way out of the context. Today, I want to look not at the pop culture version of this saying, but what Roosevelt actually meant. You're listening to the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause in the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. I'm Chris Starin, and this is Truce.
2: God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform.
0: I want to take you back to an interview I did earlier this season. You know, the one, the interview I was totally fanboying out on. Jacob Goldstein was the guest, and he's the author of Money, the True Story of a Made-Up Thing, and a former host of the Planet Money podcast, and is now the current host of What's Your Problem? You heard from him in the episode about the gold standard. When we talked, I was trying to figure out why some people wanted to take the U.S. back to the gold standard, a time when a certain amount of paper money bought you a fixed amount of gold. Why do we like this gold stuff so much that some of us want to tie it to our money supply?
1: So I think maybe part of the allure of the gold standard is this desire to believe that money is a real physical thing in the world like gold, but it's not. Because
0: regardless of what, we choose money is going to be. It's going to be a matter of trust or faith, whether it's gold that's the standard or silver or tacos or broccoli or paper. It's going to require faith or trust either way.
1: Yes, absolutely. And and in fact, it's the faith or trust that makes it money, right? Like gold is just rocks, like literally, literally just like you know, it's literally just rocks. And today, really, like we think of paper as money, but most money isn't paper, right? Most money is just uh, uh, numbers on a computer, essentially, right? You get paid in direct deposit, and like the numbers you see when you look at your bank account on your phone go up, and you know, really, the trust today is fundamentally in the country right the money operates at the at the level of the nation today or in europe in the case of the euro but like the dollar is really trust in america as a growing concern right certainly trust in the government but trust in the american economy right trust that america is going to keep functioning as a society and as an economy and that's really where the trust is today which frankly seems reasonable like
0: jacob said Gold is just rocks. Paper money is just that, paper. The only thing that gives the U.S. dollar any value is our trust and faith in the United States, or the euro in the European Union. Money, no matter what country or governing body it originates from, is an expression of faith. It has value because we say it has value, whether it's made out of gold or it's ones and zeros. So what's the opposite of faith or trust? Fear. Which brings us back to 1933 with FDR and his famous line, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Despite how it's used in small groups, men's and women's ministries, and movies, it doesn't really have that much to do with my personal anxiety, but the anxiety we as a collective people are going through. If you listen to the rest of the speech, which I've recorded as a bonus for patrons of the show, you'll see this for yourself. Remember, this was 1933 in the midst of the Great Depression. Lots of people lost their homes and jobs. We were still on the gold standard. Some people saw this financial panic and bolted to the banks, demanding that they get not just paper money, but maybe also the gold behind it. It's what we call a bank run. And in 1929, there wasn't enough of it to go around. So bank after bank closed down. Normal citizens lost their money. This was before bank accounts were insured, so one day people had money, and the next it was gone. Essentially, a bank, in simplified terms, is just a community trust. Especially back then, before there were modern protections. We trust that the money will be there when we need it. That tomorrow, the money will be worth something close to what it is today. If we trade $1 for a bag of lentils today, we'll get about the same bag tomorrow for the same amount of paper money. That's faith. But if people start to lose that faith, then panic sets in and mayhem ensues. This bank run phenomenon was unfortunately a part of life in the late 1800s and early 1900s in the US, and was caused, in part, by a loss of faith in the US economy. So when Roosevelt gets up and says, We have nothing to fear but fear itself, this is what he was talking about the collective fear that made people run on banks. There's a reason that some financial catastrophes are referred to as panics. It's not the only reason for financial crisis. Roosevelt himself goes on in the speech to blame those he calls moneylenders. But a loss of faith in currency is one reason for financial calamities. This idea has been stuck in my brain for a long time, like almost two years by the time you've heard this episode. The idea of losing a shared faith and how it impacts us as a people, it makes me think of God's currency. This special economics we have in the Christian world. Evangelicals like myself believe in this deal that Christ struck. Believe in him, repent of your sins, Jesus takes those sins on himself, and return, you get God's grace. It's fairly straightforward. Once you're saved, you're supposed to go and show grace to others. That is our playbook. We try to add to it, and we definitely try to subtract from it, but that's the playbook. It's how God grows his kingdom and how he's done it for a long time. The world tells us to fight back. But with Jesus on the cross, he's mocked by the crowd and he says, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. In the Sermon on the Mount, he instructs his followers to turn the other cheek, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, give to those who ask of you. That's God's economy. We're supposed to have faith in his process, to trust that, God knows what he's doing. But what happens if things get really stressful? We think about all the things that could go wrong. We forget God's goodness, his provision, the playbook. And listen, this is me too. Last December, when I was preparing to speak in front of my church to ask for their financial support for the show, I had a full-on panic attack. It was so bad, I had to miss half a day of work. Believe me, I get it. But the playbook says maintain faith in God's economy. Keep loving God, keep loving your neighbor. Not just on an individual level, though. I think this is where we get into really misusing FDR's speech. He was referring to collective fear. If one person lost their faith in the American economy, well, that's not a big deal. If a whole country loses faith, that's another thing. In a similar way, when we, as the church, lose faith in the way that God does things, that's when we get into serious trouble. It's a shame when one person drifts away from God's way of operating. But when we as a collective people do it, it's a catastrophe. This is probably the best way I've come up with to think about this modernism and fundamentalism debate. They are both errors, both extremes. Modernism loses faith in the God described in the Bible. It says, I'm not so good with this guy. I don't trust him. So I'll do things my way even if it means 50 cents on the dollar, and I blow the whole thing up. Fundamentalists are like the people in the economy who don't trust each other. They're willing to throw out God's economy of grace because they're worried that the other guy is going to mess things up, not do their part, or take too much. Modernists didn't trust God at his word. Fundamentalists lost faith in God's ability to change people's hearts. Both endangered the system. Yeah, I stretched the metaphor pretty thin but I hope you see what I'm getting at. When you get on social media or in a conversation with someone who's angry, it might be because they've lost faith in God's economy, his playbook, spread the gospel, trust Jesus as the son of God, love your neighbor, go and sin no more. Which brings me back to us, you and I. When we find ourselves angry at fundamentalists or modernists or any of the other people groups out there, what are we supposed to do? As hard as it is, The beauty in believing in a 2,000-year-old playbook is that it doesn't change. It's the same. Do you have a relative who openly hates people? Pray for them. Are you worried that someone's going to come and take your stuff? Then give it away before they can take it. Is your neighbor of a different religion? Then share your faith with them. Are you a redneck and your co-worker's a liberal? Or vice versa? Bless them. Is it hard for you to commit to a church? Don't avoid the coming together of the saints. Is someone at school making fun of you? Is there someone running for office that you object to? Has money gotten tight? Are the kids acting up? Are you fighting with your spouse? God's economy is one of belief in who he says he is, and one of grace. It is built on faith, not fear. I'd say that American Christianity, like all stripes of it, all stripes of it, are obsessed by fear. Liberals are terrified of conservatives. Conservatives are terrified of liberals. No wonder our churches, small groups, Bible studies are going crazy. We're soaking in fear. Yet the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. The antidote, the solution, is faith in God's economy, not ours. Thanks again to jacob goldstein for granting me that interview almost two years ago gracious it still makes me smile by the way all the religious bent of this episode reflects my opinion and not necessarily his but you should buy his amazing book money the true story of a made-up thing it's on my bookshelf and i adore it special thanks to my twin brother nick Sterren for being an amazing sounding board he's really a blessing to me Truce is still listener-supported. This thing only happens thanks to folks like you. I'm hard at work on Season 6, and I need your help to tell it. You can give via PayPal, Venmo, Check, or on Patreon, where you can give a little each month. This show takes a lot of work, even for these little bonus episodes. I read so many books and original documents. I wrote this episode out word for word, edited it, posted it, made graphics, and marketed it stewed. I mean, stewing takes time. And if you help via Patreon, you can hear my full recording of FDR's speech. It's really good. Subscribe so you get every new episode as it's released. And remember to share it with your friends and family. God willing, Season 6 is on its way. And we'll talk again soon. I'm Chris Terren, and this is Trues.